The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Marie's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? We have a wonderful guest today who happens to be a friend of of my co-author, Leonard uh, Simchuk, who told me this woman is wonderful, and I can tell you she is. I've been reading her book, The Extraordinary Workplace, Replacing Fear and Trust, and with... uh, Replacing Fear with Trust and Compassion. So let me tell you a little bit about Dana Beal, who is author of this wonderful book. Um, She is an international speaker on enlightened leadership and workplace culture. She's been on 70 radio shows and has worked for over 300 business conventions businesses and conventions and her audiences have include hospitals, physician practices, healthcare conventions throughout the country and international audiences from a multitude of industries. She is a professional speaker and writer and consultant and she has been a marketing director for organizations and she's just wonderful. So we're thrilled to have her join us and uh, you can learn more about her at Dana Beal, that's D dot com. also at conflicthealing.com where we have her picture, a JPEG of her book, and a little bit about her, and uh, we link to her website. So I just want, before I start talking to her, I just thought this was wonderful. On the cover of this wonderful book, um, she has a quote by Wally Amos, the famous uh, cookie man and author of Watermelon Credo, and he says, reading The Extraordinary Workplace could just be the solution to bringing harmony and peace to the workplace. It is an important book. And that's why I wanted to read the book, because we talk all the time about bringing harmony to everyone in this world and especially the workplace since we spend so many hours of our day at in our workplace so thank you dana for joining us oh mari thank you i'm just so happy to be on your show today yes so why don't you tell us a little bit about why you decided the the book and what your purpose was well um i was a business consultant for many years and i worked as you mentioned in lots of different industries and I was doing the conventional coaching and consulting and retreats and business planning. 
But I kept discovering that there was something getting in the way of companies really being as profitable and successful as they could be. And what it was was that people were unhappy. People were complaining and telling me things that they wouldn't tell their own administration or leadership. And I came to realize that, unfortunately, the workplace is filled with a lot of dysfunction and pain and suffering. And one night I went to bed and I woke up with this inspiration that the real crux, the real bottom line for any business is dependent on relationships. Absolutely. If you have a good relationship, you're happy to go to work. It makes your day. And, of course, then you're going to want to work more effectively and be supportive of the company. So could you describe the current workplace culture a little bit more? Because you talk here about replacing fear with trust and compassion. So it sounds like there's a lot of fear in the workplace. Absolutely. What I tell all my audiences is, unfortunately, the workplace today is a web of egos that are battling and competing for power. The managers disempower employees, and co-workers often hurt and sabotage one another. Actually, most businesses have this to some degree or another. They have gossip, pain, and most of all, fear. Does that sound familiar? Well, thank God it isn't in my office like that. But, yeah, I have I have worked in those kind of situations, and I've seen it, and it's really, it's... So would you say the worst is the ego going on, or what is the biggest problem in the workplace? Um, the ego actually is our false self, and the biggest problem is the result of the ego, and that is that we blame. Blame is the number one problem in the workplace, in my opinion, and hand-in-hand going with that is the self-righteous victim. Mm. It's like a mutual dynamic. One person projects their pain and suffering on another, and then that person feels like a victim and projects it back. Yes, and blame even in a a loving relationship, you know, when you have spouses or, or significant others in relationships. Blame and guilt are like the ruination of any relationship, and especially when people are not willing to take responsibility in the workplace. So what is the key to finding happiness in the workplace? Well, what I believe is the source of the trouble is our lack of self-worth. And when we're in the workplace, people can hook into our own wounds the key to finding happiness is not really fixing other people or trying to solve the situations outside yourself. The real key is self-reflection and discovering what is it that's being hooked in myself causing me to react this way and, and discovering that we're in charge of our own feelings, not someone else. Right. So um, you use a metaphor of drama in your book. So let's talk a little bit about that. A lot of people use that word, but I'm, I'm saying literally the workplace is like a stage and there is a drama going on. Mm-hmm. And it's complete with all the actors and all the players, and the ego is the star of the drama. And so I think it's very helpful to see that it is like a major play going on, but what keeps it going is everyone plays their part. Mm. So... In, in terms of this kind of drama going on, doesn't it really come from the top down? You know, I was just reading an article recently, um, and I forgot his name now, but he is this the founder and CEO of Whole Foods, 
and he has this this um, approach that he has to to really treating his employees well and really going out of the way to make this a better world and and is is trying very hard to and I don't know if he's really doing it but it was a, it was an interesting article about at least his intention. So what about from the top down? How do, how does that work in the workplace? Well, I agree with that and I saw him also being interviewed and that is the secret to a really harmonious workplace culture. To heal the workplace culture starts with the leadership and unfortunately when egos are in command, we get the top-down dictatorship style and changing that to one of trust and respect for the employees will release everybody to their highest potential. But don't companies really hire guys and gals with big egos because they seem to have the the confidence to just make it happen and get a profit and you know isn't that what's really happening most of the time that's such a perfect question and i agree that is what is happening most of the time but i believe there's a shift going on and people are beginning to recognize that authentic power is more powerful than the false power or the artificial power of the ego that we're seeing a lot of ego, uh, top-down kind of leadership beginning to falter. And people are discovering that in the companies where people have more autonomy and respect, that they're outperforming the companies that have that strong dictator-style management. So I'm seeing a lot of uh, possibility for the future for leadership training for people to understand that true leaders have humility, integrity, authenticity, and most of all, they have self-reflection abilities. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, I know I've been teaching some classes on emotional intelligence and kind of bringing that into the workplace as a leadership skill. How do you see that? I totally agree with that, that we have so focused on the IQ and, like you said, profitability and managing people by the numbers. And this shift toward the emotional intelligence and more and more people embracing it is what it's going to take because I don't think anyone can change the world by themselves, but one by one, as more people recognize this, we're starting to see a difference in the workplace. Mm. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just, even as we look at the workplace, like the the startups and the, you know, um, like Google, I I remember my son before he, when he he was an intern for Google, and just the way that, um, you know, that they could get a massage, they could go and get food anytime, like in the kitchen (laughs) in New York City. I mean, that was just like a a whole different shift of anything that I ever worked at. It was so much fun to visit that. I mean, he didn't take that job. He went with some somebody else because they weren't paying enough but it was uh, an interesting dynamic and and I know my daughter's boyfriend um, works for a company that um, you know is very similar in the, a video game company uh, Blizzard and so they also have you know you come in when, you know if you want to come in at 10 in the morning and you stay till 10 at night instead of the 8 in the morning to 5 or the 9 to 5 so um, they're starting, the younger people or the, the newer organizations are starting to look at, you know, quality of life a little bit differently. Would, would you say that yourself? I, I would agree with you. And as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned Google because my nephew 
is a software engineer at Google here in the Seattle area. And so I also toured it. And it's really basing the uh, expectations of your employees on their real potential and having them be passionate and committed rather than doing that micromanagement of that every hour and every minute they spend because that really never works. People do better in an environment of autonomy and freedom. Yes, yeah. Now, you talk about an organizational chart not being able to really define leadership. Could you explain that to us? Yes, that's one of the observations I made in the workplace. Excuse me. To continue with the theme of a drama, people have their props that make them feel important so that they can play out their part in the drama, and one of those is their title. And so we have organizational charts with all kinds of titles and and people that have big offices and window corner offices. Right. think that entitles them to be more powerful. But actually, everybody in the workplace on a a real level is an equal human being, and these titles don't define your leadership abilities. But because it's a drama that everyone's agreeing to participate in, we tend to give... um, such allegiance to the title, and we give up our own confidence in ourselves because we think someone is at a higher level than us in the organizational chart, but that does not mean they are a more authentically powerful person. Mm. But that really does relate to how much they they earn as well, doesn't it? Yes, it does, another prop. And so my real concern is for individuals who are living in this kind of environment to help them learn how to respond, and actually be restored to their own internal power. Because what perpetuates the drama is that people keep playing out this um, role because of fear. They could lose their job. They might not get the promotion. Excuse me, I'm having allergies here in the Seattle area. (laughs) And and so uh, the organizational chart is just one more example of how people have artificial roles. Yeah. And, you know, in my profession, in the legal profession, luckily I'm, I'm out of that, uh, you know, litigation. I only do mediation, but I deal with attorneys all the time in the law firms. And the law firms are really kind of that old style, you know, if you're a partner, if you're not a partner. And then, of yeah. course, there's uh, the whole issue of the, the gender inequality yeah. and the minority inequality. I mean, the legal profession is probably the worst in terms of, of enlightenment. Enlightenment. Um, on, uh, of course, a lot of people are going out on their own because they don't want to put up with it, or they're starting right. boutique firms that have quality of life issues that are different, or all women firms. So we're seeing that. But let's talk about what does it mean uh, to be uh, an enlightened leader or to have enlightened leadership? That's, that's the title of most of my talks is enlightened leadership, because that's the kind of leadership that we need to really shift the consciousness in the workplace today. And for me, an enlightened leader is one who recognizes the spiritual essence in those they lead. In other words, they recognize their own spiritual self, but they see that same spiritual essence in those they lead. And when you treat people from that point of view, you're truly honoring who they are, and not just their skill set, but them as a human being or human beings, and Great leaders, if we look throughout history and throughout all different industries and politics, have certain qualities. Like I I actually mentioned a little earlier, they have humility. 
and they have a sense of uh, inter-self-reflection. They know their authentic self, and that's completely in contrast to the ego-driven leader. Right. The ego, yeah, the ego-driven leader tends to look for external validation and proof that everybody admires them. You can recognize them because they often appear cocky and arrogant in contrast to an enlightened leader who is often humble but very powerful. Right, the genuine power, that authentic power. Yes. We're speaking today with Dana Beal, who is the author of The Extraordinary Workplace, Replacing Fear with Trust and Compassion. I love that. And I I think trust is a big one, right? I mean, if you trust, if you have trust in the workplace, what does that mean? Well, it's especially essential if you're working for a company to feel trust because if you are on guard or in fear or you think you're being sabotaged or criticized, you're going to end up looking over your shoulder and being fearful to even try something new. So trust is, to me, essential, and it's the opposite of fear. When we're in fear, we're uh, disempowered, and it depletes our energy, where trust actually increases our energy and our confidence in ourselves. And, you know, I have a friend who's a headhunter, and he's been a headhunter for many, many years, and, you know, he as he's watched what's going on and, and helping people grow and had been in corporate America, had been with Xerox and other big companies for years. Um, you know, he had this uh, thought that he always told the executives, don't stay at a company for more than five years because there is no loyalty. They don't care about you, and they're going to see you as you came in rather than how you've grown it's time to move in five years. You know, grow what you can and then move in five years, and then they'll appreciate you as this new, um, more, in, you know, uh, skillful person or more experienced person. And um, that, th- there, he said there's no loyalty. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, that's an interesting point of view. It's true when you first start in a position, especially if you start at a higher level, there's always that honeymoon period where you're, you're like the expert from out of town. So I can definitely see why um, somebody would recommend that. Uh, however, if people can build their relationships just like in a family or a marriage and continue to have trust and, and expand and grow, I don't see any reason why people should have to leave a company. But based on the current culture of most organizations, I can see it makes sense. And actually, we're seeing a lot of that. People change jobs a lot more than they used to. Back, you know, when our parents were worked in a company for 30 years and retired. That's right. no longer the case. Right, right. It, it was more of a family um, idea in the, in, you know, in the past where people would work and they would retire after 35 years or whatever and get their watch yes. <laughs> and get their party. And that just, you know, isn't really happening, I think. I think that's what's really sad is there it isn't like a family. It isn't treated as a, you know, um, you know, a mutual goals. And I think what you're talking about is an enlightened leader gets brings that back brings yep. back that we are family we are and that's that when i read the article um you know i forgot the guy's name <laughs> but yeah, me too. okay but but we know who we're talking about yeah yep. 
And um, and there are other companies that are starting to be more enlightened as well. But what about rivalry? It, it, you know, you talk in your book about rivalry in the workplace. Uh, what What is the cause of that? Well, it's very much related to everything we're talking about. There isn't teamwork, or how can there be teamwork if there's internal competition? And internal competition is the result of the ego-driven workplace environment. Everybody's vying for themselves. And when people are working in fear, they don't even trust each other. So how can you have teamwork in an environment of internal uh, competition? So rivalry is just, uh, actually, I think it starts early when we're a child and we have sibling rivalry, but it's a self-protective mode, and it's just the opposite or antithesis of teamwork. Yeah, and there it's a very competitive situation. I know my son um, just couldn't work anymore for this company he was working for, but it was very competitive, and it's like, you know... Um, Especially when you do marketing and sales, you know they want to know, are you know what's your numbers, what's your this, what's your that, and for the legal industry, it's like how many billable hours did you did you do? So, I think the whole uh, culture of um, looking at you know metrics and measurements uh, puts people in that situation uh, to to be uh, competitive and have that kind of rivalry. So exactly. yeah, so I mean, when you're when you're having to be accountable to a board, right. um, a corporate board, I mean, how do you how do you explain that? You know, how do you show your metrics if you're basing it on you know enlightened leadership? How do you t- talk them into that? Exactly, and and I talk about that in my book as well because it's it's sort of like a board, and I've sat in on board meetings and been part in these kind of conversations where everything is about the metrics. And I want to say, and I do say, it's like looking at a football scoreboard and saying, we want the score to change. But they're not looking at what it takes to be have the coach and the players work together. Right. So metrics are really just a reflection of what is happening. Right. And it's not the focus of where you should put your intention if you're the leader. It's to help build your team, build their abilities, build their... You know, goals are great, and measurement is essential also. But we've got it backwards. We're using the numbers almost like a threat rather than an encouragement to let's go together to meet these goals. Right. So let's let's talk about how, what, what do you recommend that an employee do um, when, you know, there's an attack or criticism from, from boss or coworker and they feel that it's unjustified? Yes. I, that is a frequent question of the people that I work with over all these years is it's usually a situation in the workplace that's making them so unhappy they can't sleep at night, they're afraid they're going to lose their job. And so I teach a process, I call it a personal restoration plan, where we take the finger of blame off the person that we think is attacking us and start to recognize whatever is going on with that person, that's their script. And it may be a script related to the workplace, but I try to help people regain their own power by doing the self-reflective reflection of understanding what wound in me is being hooked. Why am I so fearful that I can't speak honestly? And uh, the step is 
number one is to immediately recognize when you're in fear or you're in the fight-or-flight conflict mode to immediately take a deep breath and connect with your inner and try to align with your inner spiritual self. And that's what I call a personal restoration plan, to, to align with our inner self so that we actually can stop perpetuating the drama. Because we do. When we respond and reflect that what this person is doing to attack us, whether it's a coworker or a boss, it's actually um, validating for both of us that this kind of behavior works. Yes, yeah. You know, I tell people in the workplace to, you know, put up your golden shields. It's really about them. If and, and to engage them in a nice way, if they say something, do the verbal Aikido and say something like, well, I hear that you're, you have a concern about this project that I just finished. Tell me more. And lean into it instead of freaking out and immediately feel attacked. Ask for more information. Tell me more about that. Help me understand what you'd like to see. You know, what what concerns do you have? And be that, uh, you know, don't crouch, you know, (laughs) and crawl away. Just lean into it to find out because the information that you're going to get is going to make you much more powerful. If if they say, I'm not, you know, I'm concerned about something, they're not attacking you. Ask, keep it, you know, separate the person from what the problem is. Find out what is the real issue here? What do you really need from me? You yeah. know, because some some bosses are not very well trained. They attack uh, a, the person, but really and truly, the underlying issue is they're concerned about a particular behavior or a project that's not being done in the way that they want it to be done. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And that person that, uh, especially if it's a superior person that you know somebody you report to, for example, if they're a micromanager, they're operating from fear. Right. They are pressing their fear downward to you to try to be safe and make things accomplished, but it backfires. But we as individuals on either side, whichever side we're on, we'll attack or we're being, you know, in the middle of a ongoing attack, the minute we can start to say, what wound in me is, um, where is this coming from that's making me so fearful? And we may have to really work on it at home and realize, as long as we believe it's true, if we think they think we're inadequate, and we validate that to them, we're also validating it to ourselves. So the real work is healing inside. Yes. So we don't get hooked in fear. Yes. And, you know, like they say, fear is an acronym for false expectation appearing real. <laughs> and yes. so if you have this, yeah, if you have that expectation, and, you know, I deal with people in conflict all the time. And um, and so that's what I tell them, you know, just take some deep breaths like you were talking about before. Take some deep breaths. Just, you know, because you may, if you're in the middle of something at work, like you may not be able to go, you, you'll go home and think about what part of it is me, right. what am I, you know, how can I heal myself? But in the moment, you need to just really relax and then be open to say, tell me more about that. What is your concern? Because that's gonna that's gonna make them get clear, and that's going to help you to know exactly what the issues are. Otherwise, you just hear that you're lazy or you did a terrible job on this. You know, if somebody says that to me, if I did a terrible job, I want to know. That's helpful feedback. Tell me more. What specifically did you find that wasn't you know working for you or whatever? And that 
it immediately deflects the conflict. Exactly. And and you said it you exactly right. It's in the heat of the moment that it's hardest to do. Yes. And it's so, it's a, it's like a, a you have to learn a new habit. Like I yeah. am not going to react. I'm going to take a breath and then I'm going to respond with an open-ended question to tell me more or whatever. Those are, yeah. are little key things. We only have um, about another minute, but I just if you can just tell us um, why is it important to heal relationships rather than just quit your job and go somewhere else? Why why is that? That's a great final question because so many times we think let's just go to a new workplace where things will be better. We aren't healing within ourselves and working on the relationships where we currently are employed. We will find ourselves in the same drama again because there will be another boss and another person that will hook our own wounds. And that's perfect. We take ourselves with us wherever we go, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so learn where we are, heal where we are, and then when we choose to leave, we leave with confidence and a more peaceful state of mind. Great. Well, Dana Beal, the author of The Extraordinary Workplace, Replacing Fear with Trust and Compassion, thank you so much. Just give your website, and it's time for us to go right now. Thanks. Great. Thank you. It's com. And we will talk to you again, and I hope we get to meet in the near future. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Mari. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 for Prescriptions for Healing Conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com and write us a note about what you want to learn about in conflict healing for yourself. Thanks. It's about trust. Thank you.